0: You know, there is just nothing like a good sibling rivalry. You know, sometimes it's a small rivalry, uh, best friends most of the time, but just once in a while, a little competitive, but most of the time, a loving, caring, compassion for one another. But then there are those civil rivalries that are beautiful, where there's just animosity between the siblings all the time. I had some of them on my Schwann's route. It was beautiful. Dad had divided the ranch into three or four parts, and kids got all of those parts. And it was just an ugly, civil rivalry between all four of them. And, and, you know, it was kind of like keeping up with the Clampets, you know, just going and finding out what's going on with the battle and and who did what and who backed over where. And it was just a beautiful thing as you got to visit with them, and it was kind of like my own little soap opera that I got to check in on every couple weeks, just finding out what was new and happening in this civil rivalry, in this sibling rivalry. I was thinking about that this week as we continue our journey through the book of Genesis, and this morning we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 30. I know just a few weeks ago you never thought we would be at Genesis 30, but we're here, Genesis 30. And we're making our way in this journey, and we're we're heading along. But here in Genesis 30, verses 1 through 13, we see this sibling rivalry between Leah and Rachel. And it kind of begins to heat up right here. And I was reading a couple weeks ago about this being known as the baby war. And man, I thought that was so fitting. And as we come here this morning to Genesis chapter 30, the baby war really gets underway. It's been underway, but now we really get into the heat of this baby war. Now, as we look at this, we see both of these women, Leah and Rachel, both are competing for the affection and for the love of their husband. They're willing to use any means possible to get that affection. And this morning, as we look at this, we want to look at Leah and Rachel's rivalry. We want to look at Rachel as she kind of takes the front for this round. And then in the verses 9 through 13, we see Leah's round. She answers back. She volleys back to Rachel's volley, and the battle continues. Before we dive into this heated rivalry, let's pause for a moment and pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to to be in your house and to look into your word. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we look into your Word, that your Word would look into us. I pray you'd open our hearts. I pray you'd open our minds. And Lord, let us see what you have for us today. I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. As we look at this passage here, Lord, I pray that we would hear from you. And I pray when we leave here today that we'll be able to say that we've heard from you. So take my mind and my heart and my tongue and allow me to share what you'd have us to hear. Nothing more, but certainly nothing less either. And it's in your Son's name we pray these things. Amen. Now as we dive into this, the first thing we see is this rivalry between Leah and Rachel. And this is where it heats up. Look at verse 1 here in Genesis chapter 30. It says, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Now, doesn't it almost feel like you've missed something here? I mean, we looked last time at Leah and Rachel, and we just saw how Leah was having children. Rachel wasn't having children, but before that, we saw that Rachel was the one that was loved, and Leah had no love. In fact, it says that that Leah was hated because Jacob's love for Rachel was so strong. It seems like Rachel had everything. She had beauty. She had the love of her husband. What else could she need? God blessed Leah with these kids. And all of a sudden we read that Rachel is the one who envied her sister. Rachel is barren. She's been married to Jacob now for about five years, maybe longer, at least five years. And Leah has been having children. So as she looks and as she sees Leah, Having these children, she's envious of Leah. Now, as we look at this and we saw last week that this was all part of God's plan. It says in Genesis 29, verse 31. Genesis 29, 31. You can look up ahead there. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God blessed Leah with four sons. We saw the birth of Reuben last time. We saw the birth of Simeon. We saw the birth of Levi. And we saw the birth of Judah last time. Now, Leah is giving Jacob these sons. Rachel is not content with this plan that God has for Leah and for Rachel. She's a little envious now. She has an agenda. And she has a plan. And, you know, childbearing is one of those things that fits into her plan and fits into her agenda. It was what was going on in the culture at this time. And, you know, as we look at Rachel, we can kind of understand and kind of sympathize with Rachel a little bit. Because she desired to have children. Children were seen as a a blessing from God. And Rachel did have the love of her husband. Rachel did have natural beauty, but she was missing children. She was missing children. And that's understandable that she was desiring to have children. But Rachel is painfully barren. And so as Rachel looks at her life, as she sees where she is with things, she looks at Leah and she begins to think, you know what, if I could just have kids everything in my life would be perfect if I could just have kids. That's the one thing that I'm missing. And as she's looking at Leah, she's envious of Leah. She's she's envious of Leah's position as mother. And so she's not very pleased with where things are. Now, as we look at Rachel, and as we look back on hindsight, not looking at our own lives, obviously, but looking back at Rachel's life, Rachel in this position of envy, is in a dangerous position. An envious heart is a dangerous heart. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Now think about that. When you are able to see your bones, unless you're in an x-ray room, it is not good. Right? It is not good if you see a bone. They are made to be covered up by muscle, skin, fat. (laughs) Okay? Bones are not made to be seen. But when you see a bone, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. A bone is on the inside. And it says that envy makes the bones rot. So it's not something that can be seen. It's something that just begins to eat away at our insides. And I know we have never been possessed with envy. But we've read books about people who have been. And isn't that true of us when envy begins to consume us? Pretty soon, it just eats away at us. And pretty soon, that envy affects everything else. The grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. Pretty soon, we're not happy with our own grass. Pretty soon, we don't even like the way the fence looks. Pretty soon, we just want to tear down the fence and not worry about any of it. And envy has a way of just doing that to us. This is where Rachel's at. It's eating away at her. Notice verse 1 as it continues. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. This is Rachel's outburst. Rachel is at the breaking point here. She's been looking with envy at Leah and her family. Even with all that she had going for her, Rachel is as miserable as Leah was. That's where she's at. Now this didn't start with Leah's fourth son, Judah. This began early on. Because isn't that the way envy works? starts very small. And if we're not careful, it will consume us. It will eat away our bones. And that's exactly what's happened To Rachel this envy has been building this envy bubble is finally too big and it needs to burst and it bursts and she takes it out on her husband she says give me children or I shall die if Jacob was the one that was withholding children from Rachel he would give them to her he's been able to give children to Leah so if he was able to do that he would do that for Rachel and that's what she sees is that it's you, Jacob. You're the reason this is happening. Give me children. Like Jacob has something to do with it. Why would he be withholding children from Rachel? Now notice Jacob's response. Jacob in verse 2, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Jacob He gets mad at Rachel because of what she shared. Jacob knows that God is the one who gives life. Jacob knows that it's not up to him to give life. It's God is the one who opens her womb or closes her womb. He recognizes that, and he shares that with her. But you know, as we look at Jacob's response here, Jacob is not very understanding, is he? Think about this from Rachel's standpoint. As a woman, there's a desire for her to be a mother. It's one of those things that would complete her in her mindset. Jacob is not very understanding of that. Jacob, as a husband, as a man, we kind of, as men, are are kind of, we just want to fix things, don't we? We're kind of, We're kind of mission-driven, aren't we? Uh, I love going to the grocery store with my wife. But I can do it a lot faster when I'm by myself. Just saying. I, I love it when she's there with me. Mondays are not the same without her shopping with me. But I'm quick. Because I have a list, and I'm on a mission. All right? I read the list as I walk into the store. I go through... Drives me crazy when I miss something because I have to go back sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes I go back. Sometimes I don't. (laughs) I just forget sometimes. But I'm mission-driven. And, you know, I see things differently than my wife sees things. Uh, I have a book, and I would tell you the name of it, Love and Respect. And he brings out in Love and Respect a great thing for us to think about. Men, we see everything with blue glasses. Everything is tinted blue for men. And everything is tinted pink for women. Women see things different than men do. And I think the first year of marriage, you kind of begin to learn this. And then after 30 years of marriage, you're still learning this. Okay, You just need to be reminded sometimes. But, you know, as a woman, she's coming to him and sharing her heart and sharing what's going on. And Jacob has this mindset of I can't fix it. Don't don't talk to me. I, I can't fix this. This is a God thing. You've, this is this is not up to me. So Jacob is not is not very understanding about her situation, about her circumstance. And you know sometimes as as men, this is a good reminder for us that, that sometimes we need to be understanding. That we need to understand we need to understand that we don't need to fix everything. Sometimes our wives just, just want to share with us what's going on. Jacob is angry here at this. And you know, as we look at this, don't know what happens, but we don't read anything about Jacob praying. We don't see anything about Jacob taking his wife before the throne of God and, and lifting her up. You know, when Isaac faced this same situation, Rebecca was barren. And you know what? We read this in Genesis twenty-five, twenty-one. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. You know, we don't read anything about Jacob taking his wife before the throne. Isaac, we read that. We don't know if Jacob did or if Jacob didn't, but we don't read that he did. Husbands, how often do we pray for our wives? How often do we take our wives before the throne of God and lift them before God? Just so I'm not picking on husbands only today, wives. How long do you take your how often do you take your husband before the throne and pray for your husband? We don't read anything about Jacob praying for his wife. So this is the rivalry that's here between Leah and Rachel, and it's kind of come to this boiling point. Rachel's had enough. She's seen Leah doing all of this and having these children, and she's envious, and it's been eating at her, and it's bubbled to the surface. So we see Rachel take the lead here in round one. Verse three, Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her that she may give birth on my behalf that even I may have children through her." So Rachel's idea here is for Jacob to take Bilhah as his wife. And we know as we read this, this is not going to go well. This, this seems like difficulty here as we read this. It doesn't seem like it's a good, uh, a good idea. Bilhah was Rachel's property. Uh, she was given as a maidservant for Rachel. So, children that Rachel, that Bilhah has, will belong to Rachel. So, if Bilhah has this child, uh, Rachel, it will be Rachel's child. And since Rachel can't have any children on her own, this is her idea of having children on her own. God tells her that now is not the time. Jacob says, I can't play God. Rachel says, I can play God. Hang on a sec. This is my idea. How often in our lives, and you don't need to show me your hands. Your spouses have already told me. How often in our lives have we tried to play God? How often in our lives have we felt the Lord saying, you know what, now is not the time. Wait. And we get in the passing lane anyway. Uh, I've read books about that also. Rachel doesn't see any reason why she should wait on God. She has this idea and she takes matters into her own hands. Now, we don't read anything about Jacob's thoughts here. We don't read anything about Jacob trying to stop this insanity. Uh, He was harsh with her before. And maybe... In this instance, when she came with this suggestion, maybe he just wanted to appease her. But we don't see him saying anything about, you know, maybe we need to wait on this. Maybe we need to see what the Lord is going to do. Maybe this is an opportunity for God to work. We don't, we don't see that taking place here. Verse 4, So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived, and she bore Jacob, A son. So Bilhah conceived. God allowed Bilhah to conceive, and she bore Jacob a son. And as we have been walking through the sons of Jacob, this is Jacob's fifth son. Leah gave her four, gave him four, and Bilhah is now giving him number five. Verse six says this: Then Rachel says, "Said God has judged me, and has also heard my voice and given me a son." Therefore, she called his name Dan. So Rachel named this son Dan. It was Bilhah's son, but Rachel named him Dan. Because of Bilhah's position, Rachel names him. And she named him Dan. And notice what she says. God has judged me, and he has heard my voice, and he has given me a son. Dan means to judge. So Rachel says, that God has judged my case. And so she names him Dan as a reminder that God has judged this case. And she sees this as a ruling from God in her favor. Now notice verse 7. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister." and I have prevailed." So she called his name Naphtali. Now Naphtali was Jacob's sixth son. And Naphtali means my wrestling. So she's pretty much just condemned him to never be a basketball player. He's gonna have to be a wrestler his whole high school career. He doesn't have a choice. But Rachel, as we look at this here, and we see Rachel's mindset here. She truly sees this as a sibling rivalry. She clearly sees this as a battle between her and Leah. And she says, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. She doesn't know the score. is 4-2. to two. But she sees this as a victory for herself. And so, if there was any doubt about where her heart was before, now we clearly see where her heart is. She sees this as a competition between her and Leah. Maybe this is a competition for the affection of Jacob. Maybe she wants that affection. Maybe she feels like Jacob loves Leah more than he loves her, even though we've read differently. But either way, she sees this as a baby war. And she's wrestled with Leah in this. And now she gets the last laugh. So that's Rachel's round. Wouldn't it be great if we read next that Leah was overjoyed for Rachel? That Leah praised God because of this? That would be exciting. But be done 25 minutes early and you guys would be disappointed. So the next thing we see is Leah's round and this begins in verse 9. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children. So Leah's had four children and remember uh, when Leah had her fourth child Judah. Remember her response. It said in Genesis 29, verse 35. She conceived again, and she bore a son. And she said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So in verse 35, Leah says, I'm praising the Lord. We don't see any contention with her and Jacob. We don't see any change in that situation. But with her fourth child, she's looking to the Lord. And she says, at this time, I will praise the Lord. So her mindset is on the Lord. Her heart is on the Lord. And she's praising the Lord in that instance. But notice what happens here. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children. She has stopped bearing children. Now Rachel is wrestling with her and says, you know what, I've prevailed. She's named her children Wrestling, right, because that's her mindset that she's prevailed in this. So this rivalry's going, this contention between her and Leah has heated up. Now Rachel's pulled off her plan, and Leah's mindset has changed. Leah's mindset goes from being on the Lord to back to being on her situation. Being on this circumstance that she's in. And she decides it's time to take the gloves off. She took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So in this instance, as Leah sees Rachel's action. She says two can play this game. Because two wrongs don't make a right unless it's me. (laughs) Then I'm going to make a right. So that's what Leah does. And this seems like in this battle that nothing is off limits now. The gloves are off and here we are. Verse 10 says this, Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Now Gad is Jacob's seventh son. If you have a New King James Version on your lap this morning, you'll notice that your translation reads a little different. Mine, says Leah said, good fortune has come. The New King James Version translates this this way. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. Rachel has said, hey, you know what? I've wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed." <laughs> and Leah said, I'm going to name my kid... Look, the troops are coming. She's kind of excited about how big her family is. This is Jacob's seventh son. It is her fifth son. Rachel only has two. Five to two. That's that's what she sees the score as five to two. And she names her son Gad. (laughs) Look at the troops five of them little nose miners. And you've got two. (coughs) That's it, just two. You haven't prevailed nothing. Look at the troops. You've prevailed nothing. This contention is going on here between these two. Neither one of them happy for each other. Verse 12. Leah's servant Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I. For women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. Asher is Jacob's eighth son. And he is Leah's sixth son. She is happy. It's Zilpah's second son, but Leah has rights to this son. She is happy. Why would she be happy? Why would she be happy? The troops are coming. She's got plenty of kids. You know what's amazing as we look at Leah's mindset here is as she's giving these names and as she's speaking of these children, that Zilpah has brought into the herd. We don't see any mention of God anywhere. There's no mention of God. Gad's name speaks of Leah's family size. I have a bunch of boys. Asher's name, look all of the women look favorably on me because of the number of children that I have. What is Leah's mindset? Her mindset is no longer on the Lord. Her mindset is on me and on me having more than my sister. That's where her mindset is. It seems that Leah It's all about me. It's all about me. Boy, it sure is easy to pick on Leah, isn't it? It's easy to roll our noses at Rachel and just say, how could you? You had everything and you still weren't happy. And we can look at Leah and say, man, how can you just go from being focused on the Lord to being all about self. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we just closed in prayer right there? But you know, as we, as we look at Leah, as we think about Leah, how easy is it for us to get off track? How easy is it for us to begin to think, woe is me. I really need. I'm going to do this for me you know what I've been taking care of everyone else for so long it's time that I do something for me how dangerous is that is that mindset boy I watch the commercials and I'm reminded often that I really need to do something for me <laughs> that's what the world wants us to do right Look out for ourselves. Look out for ourselves. I'm getting what's mine. Worry about numero uno is the mindset. Easy for us to look down on it when it's someone else's shoe. Sometimes we wear those same shoes. So there you have it Leah and Rachel's rivalry. We see Rachel's volley. She fires a round and we see Leah answer that volley and she fires her own round. So what do we take home from this? I mean, what do we apply to our Sunday afternoon? You know, I think the first thing that we've really got to remember is Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. How many times do we forget that? How many times do we say, in the beginning, Darren? (laughs) Okay, you guys probably don't say that. Maybe you should. (laughs) But sometimes we do that, don't we? In the beginning, me. And sometimes we get the the cart before the horse. But Genesis 1-1 reminds us that in the beginning, God. And you know, that really should be our outline for life. In the beginning, God. What is God's plan? What is God's thought on the circumstance? What is God's direction on our situation? That's where we need to begin. Unfortunately, as we look at Rachel and Leah, that's not where we are. I think as we look at this, we can be reminded that, that that Envy is an ugly predicament. Envy is an ugly predicament. And when we see the beginnings of envy begin to flare up, it's important that we recognize that. It's important that we recognize the the dangers that that can be and get that envy out of it. When Darcy and I first moved here, we started a garden. And uh, it was great for the first, I don't know, hour or two. And then those weeds start coming up. And those weeds just come up and they come up and they come up. And I mean, you know, even before we have any vegetables, we got a great crop of weeds. So you're not even enjoying any of the fruits of your labor. You're just pulling weeds. And those weeds take over. But, you know, I found it's a lot easier to pull one or two weeds at a time than it is wait six months and pull weeds. Because it's a lot of work. And envy is one of those things. When we see that envy there, we've got to pull that by the roots right away. And unfortunately, when you pull it once, it doesn't mean it's not going to grow back. Because sometimes it does. We need to make sure that we keep that removed and not let that change anything. Because once that envy takes root and we begin to focus on that envy, then pretty soon in the beginning, God gets put off to the side. We begin to pursue things that shouldn't be pursued. Pursue things that are not worth pursuing. But that's where we are. Sometimes it's easy for us to lose sight of things in the fog. Saturday night, or was it Friday night? Friday night, the fog began rolling in. And you know, as we looked over at the church, we could kind of see the lights of the church and could see the church make out the church. But as that fog rolled in, pretty soon we could just see the lights of the church. We couldn't see the church itself. We could just see the, the beams of light shining through the fog. Looked down at the neighbor's house. We couldn't even see the neighbor's house. Couldn't see any lights on down there at all. You know, fog makes it hard to see sometimes. And you know, when we get caught up in life sometimes and the fog of this world rolls in, we lose sight of the important things. We lose sight of God. We lose sight of God's plan, of God's program. And we get, we get sidetracked distracted. We, We drift off the road. You know it's important that we keep the main thing the main thing. It's important that we remember in the beginning God and not lose sight of things due to the fall that this world wants to put in front of.